Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 16. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Today we're going to be talking about our past, our future and what that means for us for today. Uh, Years ago, I was in a church uh, where we did a bit of an evangelism course, and at one point, point we were being taught uh, about how to give our testimony and what a testimony is. And they used the example of this great old hymn, this is my story, this is my song, right? So we all have a story. Um, We all have a past that has been our life's journey up until the point where we've had a significant encounter with God. And my story will probably be different to your story, right? So some of us, well, we might have been a drug-addicted armed robber who was in jail for attempted murder when you become a Christian. Anybody here like that? Nobody's owning up to it. Okay, or you might have been the goody-goody two-shoes who grew up in a Christian home and you learned to love Jesus probably before you learn to walk and and you've just never stopped knowing him. We we all have a story that brought us to the point um, where we had a significant encounter of God, right? So this is my experience. Um, But then we all Christians have a song, right? This is my experience of God. This is the significant encounter that I had with God. This is the life of forgiveness that I've received in him and the freedom that I have in him. Uh, This is the future that I have in Christ. This is what God has done to turn my life around. And this is what we look forward to. We, We look forward to the day when we actually get to see Jesus face to face. We look forward to the resurrection. And we look forward to being in glory with him. And so as disciples of Jesus, we have our past. That's the way that we once were. And we have our future. That's the way we're going to be. That's what we're going to attain. But what of our present? What about today? You see, as disciples of Jesus, we are a people who are living between the now and the not yet. 
We're not the same as what we once were. At one time, we were children of the devil, but now we're children of God. At one time, we were objects of God's wrath. That's the way we're described before we knew Jesus. Uh, But now, we're objects of his affection. At one time, we were destined for punishment and destruction and hell and torment, but now we're destined for eternal glory and being in the very presence of our Lord. So we're not the same as what we once were, but are we there yet? Of course not. We just haven't achieved, we haven't got there yet. Now, as I read and as I prayed through this passage for today and and as I've thought about the church of today, it seemed to me that there's two serious errors or extremes that, that are common that we should guard against falling into these. So while we're living in the now, the first extreme, the first problem is if we look back and if we want to start to live again as we once were. And the second problem is is if we start to act as if we've already arrived. And in this section of Paul's letter to the Philippians, he's addressing both of these. Right? So in what we've already studied so far, he's been talking about counting everything as loss. He's counting everything else in his life up until now as loss in order to gain Christ, in order to be found in Christ, in order to receive the righteousness of God that isn't his own righteousness, but it's the righteousness that comes from knowing Jesus. And in order to share in the sufferings of Christ and to become like him in his death and to attain the resurrection of the dead, right? So he counts everything else as loss in order for these things. And when we're living in the now but the not yet. The natural human fleshly inclination, well, we generally want to just skip over things like sharing in the sufferings of Christ or becoming like him in his death. You know what that means? Becoming like Christ in his death, it means dying. Um, Probably, possibly in a horrible way. Christ died in a horrible way. And it also means daily striving for righteous living. And the the natural human inclination is to grasp hold of the good bits of life, and not only the good bits of life, but to grasp hold of the good promises of Christ that he's prepared for the future and to expect that we're going to receive all of these promises right now. It's sort of like... um, wanting to open your Christmas presents a month before Christmas. Now, I grew up in a family where the Christmas presents would all mysteriously appear under the Christmas tree on Christmas Eve um, while, while we kids were asleep. And, and I'd get up about three o'clock in the morning and, and go out and, ooh, ooh, look, there's yummy, there's goody presents there. Ooh, wow. Uh, but then we had some friends who I'd, I'd go and visit them and, they got their tree up at the start of December and presents start appearing under the tree right from the 1st of December. All right, let's do a, do a straw poll. Whose Christmas presents turn up the night of Christmas? Okay, a few. Now, whose Christmas presents turn up well before that? 
Yeah, okay. Looks like I'm the loser. <laughs> and I just said to my friend, I said, how can you bear it? Those presents are there for a month. I mean, I know how bad it is waiting from three o'clock in the morning until I can manage to get mum and dad out of bed at six in the morning. It's like, how do you stand it for a month? And that's the way some of us are with, with the blessings of Christ, right? Some of these are, are, are for the future when he returns, but we want them now. We want them now, right? But Paul is saying, I haven't already attained this. I'm not already perfect and I haven't already got these things, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. What a profound statement that is. I press on to make it my own. All right, so pre Paul is pressing on. He's not living in the past. He's living in the now, but his eyes are set on the future. He knows that the future isn't yet his and that it won't be until the day of the resurrection. But his eyes are set on this. He knows this blessing is coming and he's striving towards it. But what gives Paul the confidence to press on? He says it's because Christ Jesus made me his own. The literal Greek says something more like, I press on to grab it because Christ Jesus grabbed me. Right? I press on to lay a hold of it because I was laid a hold of by Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul knows that the day of the resurrection and, and all of the blessings that that entails, he knows it's not just wishful thinking. He knows it's a certainty. How can he be sure of this? Well, because Christ grabbed a hold of him. At one time, Paul had a very wrong idea of God. In fact, he, Paul was dead against Christians. He couldn't stand them. Right now, you probably know somebody or a number of people who really don't like Christians. Right? Think of that person and then probably multiply it by 100 and you've got Paul. Paul hated Christians. And, but there on the road to Damascus, Paul was on his way to arrest Christians and drag them back to Jerusalem to put them on trial for blasphemy against God. And there on the road to Damascus, Jesus Christ laid a hold of Paul. He really got his attention. Suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus who you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Right? Jesus laid a hold of him. He shook him and got his attention. Well, he blinded him and got his attention. And Paul would never be the same again. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, you know pretty well what I'm talking about. Because Jesus Christ has laid a hold of you and you'll never be the same again. You, you, it mightn't have been as, as dramatic as the way that Paul, as Jesus laid a hold of Paul, but Jesus Christ has laid a hold of you nevertheless and you will never be the same again. And so this path that Jesus has set us on, the path of being a disciple of Jesus, is because he's laid a hold of us. 
He's made us his own. We belong to him. He's not going to let go of us. And that's why Paul has confidence of the coming day of the Lord. And that's why he's not living in the past anymore. And that's why we're not living in the past anymore. He says in verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I just want to say something here about forgetting. Paul said there is forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what, what lies ahead. Now, he's not talking about forgetting the way that we once were. And he's not talking about forgetting what God has rescued us from. He's talking about forsaking it. So, for example, when God led the people of Israel out of Egypt, uh, they were slaves there in Egypt. And he led them out of Egypt. But, but there came a time when they looked back and they remembered the bits of Egypt that they used to enjoy. Now, primarily, they were thinking about their bellies. They were thinking about the tucker that they used to have in Egypt. And they longed for what they once had. In Numbers chapter 11, we read, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt and it didn't cost anything. And the cucumbers, cucumbers? Who, who, who craves cucumbers? Who, who, would, who would be, oh, if only I could have something that tastes like water, the white part of the watermelon skin. It's like, they're horrible things, cucumbers. Does anybody here like cucumbers? Right. <laughs> Neil. <laughs> Neil grows. Sorry. <clears throat> Sorry, Neil, if you're listening to this. Cucumbers, especially Bell and Fresh, cucumbers are the best ones on the market. There you go, product placement happening again. Uh, <laughs> melons, leeks, onions and garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at, right? They looked back and they remembered Egypt, but they did more than remember Egypt. They were longing for it and they're longing to return to what they once had. And that's why God was angry. He didn't want them to be looking back and craving this stuff because he had rescued them from, from Egypt and they were wanting to go back to it. But did that mean that God wanted them to forget all about Egypt? No, not at all. In fact, time and time again, he told Israel to remember. Remember where you were. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Remember that I rescued you from these things. And the whole of the Passover celebration was to remind Israel of the bitterness of their past that God had rescued them from. And for us, it's really important at times for us to look back. To look back to where we have come from uh, and what God has rescued us from. And it gives us reason to praise God for this. But we need to remember that we have forsaken our old life. And so when he's saying, forget about what lies behind, he's saying, don't crave it anymore. Don't go back to that old way of living anymore. Don't desire it anymore. There's a theological term called sanctification. I don't know why we always use such big words in, in Christian circles. 
Sanctification. That means that God is transforming us. We're not the same as what we once were. Um, By the Holy Spirit living inside of us, he is transforming us and making us to become more and more like him. And, And this is an important part of our journey. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. It's the way ahead for us. Perfection in Christ is the goal. Has anyone reached that yet? No one? Phew. I don't have to, don't have to argue with anyone. Um, does anybody think that I've reached that yet? Good, good. And while we, while we keep our eyes fixed on the goal and we keep pressing on ahead, not looking back, not longing, longing for our old ways, which were the ways of the world, we're pressing on and God is sanctifying us. But we haven't achieved perfection yet, nor will we until the day of, Jesus's, uh, until the day of our resurrection. Which is why Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. All right? So let's not look back. Let's no longer crave the things of the world. Let's no longer crave the things that we've left behind. So at one time, you might have enjoyed going out and getting a bit drunk with your mates, but not anymore because Christ has laid a hold of you And now you're not the same as what you'll ever be again. And now you're pressing on towards the goal and you're never going to go back to that old way of life. Or at one time you might have enjoyed being involved in a bit of dirty talk or rude jokes or sharing porno images with your mates on their phones, but not anymore because Jesus Christ has laid a hold of you and now you're pressing on towards the goal and you're not looking back and you're not going to go back to what you once were. Or at one time you might have had the aim that you're going to store up money and possessions and and store up a nest egg so that you can just kick back or maybe you might want to just kick back and relax now and just think about numero uno, number one, just me and just think all about yourself. That might have been the way that you once were but not anymore because Jesus Christ laid a hold of you and now you are pressing on to the goal and you're not looking back, right? So the first problem is when we look back. It's when we look back to our past and we desire the old way that we once used to live before Christ took a hold of us. But the second problem is when we tend to have the belief that we've pretty much already arrived. Right? We're living between the now and the not yet. But this extreme believes or teaches and therefore expects that all of the blessings, or at least most or many of the blessings that are supposed to be in the future, they actually belong to me right now. Some people claim it in relation to holiness and sinlessness. Some people believe that they can overcome sin completely right now. Some churches you'll go in will rarely, if ever, pray a prayer of confession because they believe that the day you decided to become a Christian, 
Jesus took away all of your sins, all of your past sins, all of your present sins, all of your future sins, and so you don't need to repent anymore and you don't need to keep on asking for forgiveness for additional things that you've done as if it doesn't matter. But you know how Jesus taught us to pray? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And there's numerous times in the New Testament where letters are written to churches and they're talking to Christians and these Christians are told openly to repent. Repent of this sin and ask forgiveness of God. And I can tell you honestly from from my own life experience, I desperately long for the day when sin is going to be completely overcoming me. But to my shame, I find that every day is a day that I battle with sin. And in this, I'm in good company. The Apostle Paul says, I haven't already attained this. And I'm not already perfect, he says. And I'm pretty sure you know pretty well what I'm talking about. Because you've experienced it too, haven't you? where we long for the day when sin will be overcome and temptations won't affect us anymore. But it's still something that you struggle with. Well, be encouraged because that day is coming when Jesus Christ returns. Holiness will be completely ours and we're not going to have that struggle with sin anymore. But it's just not yet. And as disciples of Jesus, yes, we strive for perfection and we strive to live as obedient sons and daughters of God. But let's not give up because we've discovered that we're not as perfect as we wished we could be. We're living in the now, but the not yet. But the good news is that even today in the now, when we confess our sins to the Lord Jesus Christ, and repent of these sins and ask for forgiveness, we are indeed totally forgiven. So that's one example. But perhaps a more common example of this extreme that that acts as if we've already arrived is what often gets called prosperity theology or or the prosperity gospel. And most of us will probably recognise this sort of teaching. It's a teaching that tells us that, that a lot of the promises that Jesus made, that we can claim these as a reality for us right now in this physical life. Um, in fact, often people who, who teach this will go back into the Old Testament and cherry pick a few promises that were made to the people of Israel and say, oh, these are promises that we can claim as well and we can expect these. It's a teaching that claims, and I'm using that word claims on purpose, it claims things like riches, possessions. It claims health, well-being. It even claims things like respect, honour and position. And it says that these things should be claimed and and it will often use the, the term being spoken into being right now. It's a teaching that says that the name of Jesus, that we can claim that promotion at work, we can claim that financial blessing we want and that we can claim a trouble-free life. 
It's teaching that says that no Christian should ever die of cancer and that says that no Christian should, should ever even have to suffer sickness or disease. You see, they believe that when Jesus died to conquer sin and death, the scriptures tell us that by his wounds we are healed. And they take this as a physical healing here and now, and they say it's not only it's not only a gift which is given to a few, it's something which a promise which can be claimed for every single person right now. So what do you think? Some of you will have heard this teaching, some of you may have been convinced by this teaching. You know what? All of those things that I just listed are earthly things, aren't they? Health, wealth, well-being, things going well for us, they're all earthly blessings, earthly things. And a heart that's set on earthly things will crave these things. And not only will we, we crave these things and pray for these things, we will almost demand these things. But what are they? They're earthly things. Now, ideally, I would have really loved to have taken today's message further on and, and, and taken the reading that we're going to have next week as well at the same time and go right through to the end of this chapter and, and into the start of chapter four. And next week we'll get there. So don't worry, I'm not, not going to try and bite off too much today. Um, but just a little bit of a taster of what we're going to hear next week. Paul is talking about enemies of the cross. How do we tell enemies of cross? It says their God is their belly. So some of us have a bigger God than others. Um, their God is their belly. That, but that literally, that really means that they're just worried about physical stuff. He says, and they glory in their shame. That just means that they're proud of things that they really should be ashamed of. He says, and their minds are set on earthly things. That's the characteristics of an enemy of the cross. So let's not set our minds on earthly things. You see, it's actually a logical thing that that, that is to become an enemy of the cross because what is the cross all about? The cross is about the sacrificial giving of self rather than the grasping hold of, of earthly things for ourselves. And Jesus told us that to be his disciples, we take up our own cross to follow him and we leave behind earthly things to strive towards the spiritual, eternal blessings. Now, some of you might say to me at this point, so Michael... Are you telling me that you don't believe in healing? Um, and my answer to you is, and please wait until I give you the whole answer before you get up and walk out. Um, my answer to you is no, I do not believe in healing. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ's power and ability and willingness to heal. And I believe in his authority to heal. And I believe that he is Lord and that Jesus knows best. 
and that he knows what's best for you and that he knows what's best for me. And even beyond that, that he knows what is best for his purposes and for the building of his kingdom. And so in accordance with the scriptures, when those who are among us are sick, we do pray for their healing. And in accordance with the scriptures, we do pray for blessings. We're not going to pray for super wealth and prosperity, but we will pray for, our, uh, for daily bread. And I can testify that Jesus has never let me down there. He always gives us what we need. And in accordance with the scriptures, when we pray for healing, we don't demand it as if it's our right. And we don't try and speak it into being because we're not God. God is the one who speaks things into being. And we don't go on and on and on and get louder and louder and louder and try and shout it into being because that's the way that the pagans do it. Jesus told us that. He says, your heavenly father knows what you need even before you ask him. And so when we pray for healing, we humbly seek the mercy of God and we make our request, Lord, please heal. And in accordance with the scriptures, we pray, yet not my will, but your will be done. Now, some people will tell you that if you pray for healing and you don't get healed, then there's something wrong with the way you did it, that, that you didn't have enough faith or something. But do you know what true faith looks like? Do you know what a real faith and a powerful faith looks like? It's a faith that says, Lord, it's in your hands now. And I'm asking I'm pleading for healing for this person. But whether this person is healed or whether they die, I will glorify you and I will continue to glorify you and I will continue to love you because, Lord, you took a hold of me and my mind isn't set on these earthly things. I'm looking forward and I'm pressing on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That is a real faith that despite what happens in this world, our faith is sure and firm in the goodness and the mercy of God. That's real faith. But sadly, some people would consider what I just said as being unspiritual. And it's not uncommon for those who chase after physical earthly blessings now and, and follow the whole name it and claim it thing. It's not uncommon for these folks to accuse those who, who don't go for the name it and claim it thing as being unspiritual. But in truth, it's exactly the opposite. Right? Paul has been showing us that we're living in the now, but the not yet. We've left behind our sin, and we're, but we're not yet perfect. And we're on our way to the blessings of the resurrection. And this is a time when there will be no more sickness. There will be no more death. There will be no more hunger. There will be no more thirst. We're going to be in a place where the streets are paved with gold. 
I don't think we're going to be needing to chase after riches when you can just dust it off your feet. But that time is not yet. And then he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. You see, if we start thinking and feeling as if we've already made it, if we start believing, yeah, I've already got these blessings, woohoo! that's actually spiritual immaturity. Because Paul says, let those of us who are mature think this way, and that's not that way. And he says an interesting phrase here. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. You see, when a person believes that they're more spiritually mature than what you are, uh, even if they've gone off on a bit of an unbiblical tangent, rarely will you be able to convince them otherwise. Um, they believe that they're the ones who have the anointing. They're the ones who have the faith. They're the ones who have the spiritual know-how. And if you disagree with them, well, you're just a religious person who knows nothing of the spirit. And you won't be able to convince them otherwise. Um, only God can do that. And sadly, it's often that people actually don't realise this until their faith is tested and they believe that this loved one is going to be healed. They have all of the confidence because to not have confidence has to show lack of faith and then their loved one dies. And for many people um, who have been following that line of thinking, at that point, their whole faith, everything they believe, just comes into question for them. And some people lose their faith altogether. This prosperity theology I was talking about, health, wealth and long life, it's a luxury of the rich and the healthy. Sometimes in the sovereignty of God, in his mercy, he gives the gift of healing. And what a wonderful time to rejoice that is. But sometimes the sovereign will of God is for a person not to be healed. And sometimes, and some of you might hate what I'm about to say, but sometimes the sovereign will of God is for a person to suffer and possibly even to die. Now, if your mind is fixated on this current earthly life, you won't be able to cope with that statement. But if you have the same mindset as Paul, that to live is Christ and to die is gain, You'll understand that statement very well. And so as we live in Christ, let everything be for Christ. And so in our living, we give glory to Christ. When we have plenty, we give glory to Christ. And yet in our poverty, we give glory to Christ. And in our health, we give glory to Christ. 
And yet in our suffering, we give glory to Christ. And even in our dying, let us give glory to Christ. Verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. What have we attained? We hold on to Christ because he took a hold of us and we continue to follow him until the day we die, until the day of the resurrection. And we're going to talk more about the resurrection next week. Um, next week, uh, we're going to have a whole bunch of family out. It's, we're having a birthday celebration for Robin and provided they don't shut the borders again or something before then, we're going to have a whole bunch of folk here. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to this because um, Robin's grandmother, Nanny, is going to be here. So Nanny is a reasonably sprightly old lady, still got all of her marbles and she loves Jesus. She's 99 years old. She's going to turn 100 later this year. And I've talked to her about the resurrection. I'll tell you what, she's someone who has her eyes fixed on the resurrection. And I'm really looking forward to talking about it um, next week. I don't know if you guys realise this or not, but whenever I'm giving a message, um, sometimes I find I have to look at certain people. Some people, you can see that God's doing something amazing in their hearts and, and they're just, to look at them, I just get encouragement. Other people, it's like, uh, I, I don't look at you, okay? If you're doing this, uh, probably not looking at you. I'm thinking I'm probably going to draw a fair bit of energy looking at Nanny next, next week as we talk about the resurrection. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we want to thank you that you have taken a hold of us. And so, Lord, help us to hold on to you. Lord, help us by your Holy Spirit to keep your eyes fixed, sorry, keep our eyes fixed on you as we press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we pray for spiritual maturity. Help us to stop being so focused on earthly things. Even things which might seem good in, their, in themselves, our own lives and our own health, which are still earthly things. Lord, help us not to be so focused on these things, but to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. And as we look forward to the day when we will see you face to face in glory, let us give you glory daily in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. And Lord, I want to pray particularly now for those who are here, maybe those who are listening to this, who are going through dreadful circumstances. I want to pray for anyone who is suffering right now. And Lord God, we, we bring them before you and we ask for your healing. We ask for your provision. But Lord, we also pray, yet not, what, not our will, but your will be done. And Lord, I pray that in whatever circumstances you have us in, Lord, I pray for those who are going through the suffering. And Lord, I ask that 
you would give them such a firm grasp of, of the fact that they've been laid a hold of by Christ and that they would hold on to you so firm that they would be a witness to those around them and that they would marvel in the glory that they proclaim as they glorify your name from the midst of hurt, from the midst of suffering. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.